Welcome to the I Might Be Wrong podcast with Travis Seppala, where we discuss faith, dogmatics, science, math, physics, art, and share conversations with all humans. Well, mostly only the interesting ones. Join me in welcoming and encouraging Travis on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Travis Seppala, and I am your host. For this particular episode, what I'm going to be doing is I'm actually going to be talking about baptism again, and it's a continuation um, on the first episode I've I did on baptism. So if you haven't listened to that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because that kind of gives an introduction into um, where I'm going to pick up pick up from for this particular episode. And it's not really hard to find because actually I'm doing these two episodes back to back and the title of it was simply baptism. So it's not a difficult episode to find. And where I left off with that episode was just pointing out the concept or the idea that baptism, as we read about it, you know, when when we go to the Bible, there's this, uh, an understanding of a unity that's going on, a union that's occurring in this event. And the whole point that I was making is that the only way a person could believe that is that you would have to believe that even though, you know, it seems like a very basic and um, rather mundane thing that's going on, some water and a person, you know, being either plunged or, you know, having water sprinkled over the top of the, over the top of them, that is as boring as that might look and as, as simple as that might look, that doesn't necessarily mean that God isn't present in the act and that God is able to accomplish something far greater in that act. And so really the only thing I'm, I'm asking is to, to simply understand that there's our perspective on something like this, and then there's God, God's perspective. And, and really a lot of what I want to do here is kind of tear away our perspective to the best of my ability, realizing that even myself, I have my own, I have my own understanding. But you know, I might be wrong, and that's really the whole point of this podcast is to kind of explore topics like this and try to do so in in a very honest sort of way, learning as I go through it. Um, just to kind of back up this idea, though, um, that there is a joining that occurs. I would like to start this episode off by pointing out that Paul, in the book of Romans, he writes and he says, don't you know that you were baptized, that that when you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ's death. Now, this is me paraphrasing. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm just kind of just, that's the way, like the best way I can remember it. He goes on to say, though, um, in verse 5 of chapter 6 of Romans, he says that having been joined together, or he, he calls this a union, having been joined together in his death. And, and really, the Greek word that's used there is, is a word called sympathos, which means joined together. And so even, even Paul, when he's writing 
to the Romans, and he's telling them, hey, when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death. And then he uses this word, you were joined together with him in his death when this happened, you were joined to him. And so it's very clear that in you know the very beginning of the church, this is how it was being taught. This is how this was actually you know, being talked about even when Paul was doing something like addressing the Roman Christians at the time. Now, having said that, I would like to point out that there are a lot of people and there's, you know, different groups of people that exist today that, you know, when they teach about baptism, they don't teach about any sort of a union that's going on. In fact, what it gets compared to or what it really gets called is a sort of rite of initiation or or somehow, you know, the initiate, the one who's about to come into the church is now basically expressing through this act that they are now devoted 100% completely to the church and and this is why it should be done publicly and it's done in this, you know, in in and this is really what's going on here. And I would just like to address this simple fact concerning this idea of the right of initiation and and really how this just isn't true. And the reason people come up with this sort of teaching is there's this idea that exists or that gets taught even at times that there were a number of different religions that had rites of initiations that people took part in and these you know they pre predated Christianity some people would say that even you know some people would say that even within certain sects of Judaism at this time that this was going on and and that water was involved in some of the, some of these rites and I mean, I mean, I'll just be honest. That's absolutely true. There were some rituals that had water in a lot of the different religions that surrounded, you know, that area of the of the world during that that point in time. But that doesn't mean anything because there was also rituals that that surround, you know, in which fire and blood was involved. There were rituals that involved the moon and the stars and the sun and the seasons and, and, and basically the harvest. There was rituals, you know, you know, in places like ancient Egypt that had everything to do with the Nile River. And, 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 and actually, like, there's accounts of certain rituals where people upon their death were you know, you, you took the the cleansing water from the Nile, they believed it had healing properties, and it, and it would actually, you know, enter people into the afterlife. There's accounts of people, you know, where there was a washing that would occur right after a child was born in some of these religions. But that doesn't really, that doesn't in any way reflect the fact that there was any sort of a baptism that was going on. And just because there was a ritual involving water, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, in fact, some of these religions were practicing human sacrifice, you know, at different times in the world, you know, and, and, and child sacrifice. So that doesn't really matter in, in that sense, because it wasn't a sort of baptism. These were rituals that happened all the time. The same goes with the idea of Jewish cleansing because, you know, they go back and they point out, well, there's these cleansing pools that existed within Jewish, I mean, not within, but, you know, around Jewish synagogues in the temple. And so obviously, like, baptisms were going on. And this is why when John comes along, now he's going to kind of, you know, do the same thing. It's this ritual. The problem is, is that wasn't what that was for. There was, it was not being used by the Jewish people 
to initiate converts into the faith. It was actually doing, it was actually, a, this was part of going back into the Mosaic law where people needed to be cleansed before and after entering the temple. And there was all, all sorts of things that people could do by the time of Jesus that would render them unclean and they would have to go to the temple. And, and so there was ritual washings that surrounded this. But as far as I can tell, having done, you know, uh, I mean, of a pretty large amount of research, what we see happening when John the baptizer arrives and what Christians end up doing afterwards, after Christ has given the, the, um, the command to baptize, this is something that is entirely unique. It's in, you know, it's unique in the sense that it's not, you know, we don't find any literature calling this some sort of a rite of initiation. The people didn't treat it in this way. In fact, when you go back into the ancient church, there's a couple of different words that they use to describe baptism. But, you know, it's not a ritual in that sense. They use words like doron, which means gift. They use mysteron, which essentially translates into the hidden things or the unknowable things of God. They also use the term seal. This appears later on, and the idea is... is um, in the sense of possession, that when this is happening, God is placing his seal upon you, making it known that, that you or the, you know, the person who's been baptized now belongs to him. But they don't use language that, that in any way um, to, makes it seem like a ritual. And the other thing is, is it's not something that's repeated. It was understood that it was supposed to happen one time in a person's life. And then that was it. You didn't repeat this time and time and time after, you know, time and time again. So in that sense, there was nothing really religious about it in the sense that, well, you, yeah, you got to make sure that you're, you're doing this right. And, and there's only one way to do it, and that in and that we're going to repeat it over and over. In fact, there's this very early document within the Christian Church called the Didache, which literally just translates into the teaching of the twelve, the twelve being the twelve disciples. And the way it was understood in the early church is if you go into the Book of Acts, or actually it predates the Book of Acts. I shouldn't say predates, but let's go before the Book of Acts. Let's go back to the very end of Jesus's ministry. And it says that he did something interesting to the disciples before he sent them out. It says he opened their minds and he revealed the scripture to them and he revealed himself. And it says that, you know, this is given to them in this way and that they were supposed to remain in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. And from that point in time on, then they were going to go out and they were going to share this message. And that's what happens. They receive power from on high. We read about something like the day of Pentecost. And then it says they were gathered together. And it says the first thing that the, that's mentioned in the book of Acts in terms of this gathering together is it was around the teachings of the disciples or the apostles. And, and essentially like the, the way it's kind of shared is this is what this was. The teachings of the twelve were, were the, you know, the teachings of the early church. And, and, you know, different people um, have written, you know, extensively about the Didache and, 
and it's believed by many, you know, by by most people to be somewhere from the first or second century within Christianity that this was pretty prolific. And it mentions baptism. Now, I'm not going to read from it because um, I don't have it with me at this point in time. But if you want to go look it up, I mean, I'm pronouncing it in Greek, but if you want to go look it up, I mean, it's a pretty easy Google search to do. It's spelled D-I-D-A-C-H-E, if I remember correctly. Um, Anyways, do that and, and there's PDFs or whatever else, but it has certain instructions for the church. And when you get to baptism, this is where we see that this wasn't necessarily ritualistic at all, because... What we read about is it tells them they're actually instructing on how to do this. And and it says, well, you know, if you're going to baptize somebody, will you baptize them in living water? And if you don't have living water, then then you just use some other water. And living water was understood to be some sort of a body of water. So river, lake, whatever else. But if you don't have that, then baptize them somewhere else. And it says, you know, and if you don't have cold water, (laughs) use warm water. And if you don't have any of these, then just find some water and sprinkle it over their head three times. The only thing that really matters is that you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, there's some other instructions that surround that, but the important thing is, there wasn't in the early church any understanding that it had to be done a certain way, that somebody had to be plunged all the way under the water or it wasn't a baptism, or that you know it had to be done in the Jordan River or it wasn't a baptism. It had to be done inside, outside, or anything, you know, upside down for that matter. You know, the whole point is, okay, you know, if you, you know, we would like you to do it this way, but, you know, if you can't do it this way, then do it this way. And if you can't do it this way, then you do it this way. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that really matters is like, you know, you say the words that you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that the person who's being baptized and the person who's baptizing them have been prepared for this. And and so this is what's interesting is when we turn it into some sort of a rite of initiation, or when people believe that that's what it was, Well, that's when you get into this really weird sort of thing that goes on in our day and age where you have people who think, well, there's a right way to do this, physically a right way to do this, and a wrong way to do this. And and that's why... You know, that you know, this teaching I think is actually poisonous to the topic of baptism because this was not something that was taken or co-opted by the church. Baptism was not co-opted by the church in the sense that, you know what, they looked around and there's all of these other people doing baptisms, and so we're going to do this too. This was very unique. I mean, I've done I have done extensive reading on this, and I can't find anything that in any way truly matches or mirrors this. This was very unique in the ancient world, and it's still unique today. So it's not as though this was some sort of a rite of initiation that, that you know, in the way that other religions had their rites of initiation. It, it wasn't as though, okay, you do this, and this is you. Now you're part of the group because, you know, we did this to you, and now you can belong. It wasn't seen in that way that this is something that people were doing. So what was it? And this is where we get back to, you know, this idea of, well, you know, it's talked about in terms of a union. And the early church used something like a seal, that in this God is sealing you or marking you as his own. And so what I'd like to talk about very brief, well, it probably won't be that briefly, but as briefly as I can, is I'd like to talk about the fact that baptism 
even the word baptism is not a Christian term. And it's not even a religious term. You know, when we go back into the ancient world, this term was actually being used in the Greek language, and it predated Christianity in terms of its use in literature by around 200 years. And, and it actually, so the first, the first occurrence of this word that we have, you know, you know, in, you know, for people who study this is not, it's not something that we find in the Bible. The oldest occurrence of the, the, the terms that have to deal with baptism are actually found in the Greek historian Nicander, who, you know, people basically estimate he was somewhere around the year 200 BC, so before the time of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and obviously there's going to be, you know, some slight, you know, who knows exactly when. And he was using this terminology. Now, before I go any farther, it's important to understand that there was actually, you know, there's there's a number of different words that get translated into baptism or baptize within the New Testament. But the two most prevalent are um, baptizo and bapto. Um, there's also baptismas. Um, and for anybody, before anybody, if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, well, you're pronouncing those wrong because I, I've heard it's baptizo. And the reality is, is I studied ancient Greek um, and the person that I, or the place that I studied ancient Greek under um, was dealing with it in, in, in the, in the Koine form. And so I learned it um, learned to pronounce it without the edicism. The edicism came along much later, which turned a lot of the short vowels into all long vowels. And so if somebody says, well, it's not baptizo, it's baptizo. Um, the reality is, is they're the exact same thing. It's just that I've been, this is the way I've studied it. And, and this is the way I've read these words, these ter- this terminology for literally, you know, years now. So it's not like can, I can just change that. So I'm not pronouncing it wrong. I'm just pronouncing it the way it was pronounced before the Edicism came in to the Greek language. And, and other people aren't pronouncing it wrong either. It's just that there was this, this phenomena that happened within the Greek language that um, caused... A, a change in pronunciation later on. So anyways, you have Bopto. Sorry, that was like a big tangent. But anyways, that's it's my podcast, so I can do whatever I want. Um, but anyways, um, you have Baptizo and Bopto are probably the most prevalent that occur within within the scriptures. And they don't mean the same thing. You know, it might seem on the surface that they do like, you know, you know, baptizo means to plunge, you know, it, it, you know, it's, or to dip, dunk, plunge, and then to immerse into something. And when you get to bopto, it just means to dip and to dunk into water. But the way they were used was not the same at all within the ancient world. And so the easiest example of this is found in the going back to the way they actually were used by the Greeks. And I always think it's interesting because I've asked people over the years, hey, you know, just so you know, the first usage of these terms, it doesn't appear, it's not from the Bible. So where do you think it is? And it's it's funny, people say, well, it must have been from some other religion, or they think it has to do with all of that. And it doesn't. <laughs> it actually has to do with the pickling of vegetables. And Nicander is writing about the proper way to actually 
take care of um, vegetables as you you know pickle them, which w- it might seem like a weird thing for a historian to talk about, but the preservation of food was something that was extremely important back then. Because, you know, they didn't have like refrigerators or or grocery stores or whatever else. I mean, this was important to civilization. And so, I mean, the idea that a historian would write about it is actually not that unusual. Now, what's interesting is he, he uses, as he's going through this description, he uses both of these words. And what he uses is, first of all, bapto. He says, you know, before this happens, essentially, you need to cleanse the vegetable you know, whatever it is that you might be using. And in order to cleanse it, it says that you must plunge it into boiling water to dip it into boiling water. And the term that's used here is bopto. Bopto. And so so it's understood. And, and this is how bopto was used in the ancient world. It was, it has, it's the idea of cleaning, plunging into water. Um, it's, you know, the idea is a washing in this sense, um, or dipping and, and it's just understood in that way. In fact, when we go into, if you go into the Bible, if you want references, um, to what these, you know, some of the places that this term is used, you know, in the book of revelation, when it says that, you know, his robe is dipped in blood, the term used there is bopto in, uh, John's account of you know the final hours of Jesus, where Judas is going to betray him, and uh, and there's this scene where it says, you know, whoever you know, I, I'm going to dip this morsel, and whoever I give it to, you know, that's going to be the one who essentially betrays me. Well, it says he dipped it and gave it to Judas. It's Bobto that's being used here. Same thing in in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, when, when it's all said and done and the rich man is begging, you know, father Abraham or begging him in the bosom of Abraham that can he just dip his hand in water and give it to me because his suffering was that great. Well, this is Bopto that's being used here. And this is the way it was, you know, this is the way it was understood. So it wasn't just about watching, washing, but it was the understanding of dipping, but it's a very mundane word. You know, that's that's essentially the way it was used to dip. Now, what's interesting is getting back to the historian Nicander is that when he's writing, then he says, so first you you dip this into boiling water to clean it entirely. And then what you do is you're going to put it into your your brine, your vinegar. And, and so it's understood that there's a brine. Well, and now this is when you're going, now you actually have a pickled vegetable. Um, and I don't remember if he even has, side note, I don't even remember if he, if I can even, if he's even specifically talking about a specific vegetable. I can't remember if he was or not. But the point being is, you know, you plunge it in here and boom, now you have, you know, something that's been pickled. But for anybody who's ever did this before, we understand well, that's actually not how that that works you know i i grew up on a farm and you know i've watched people you know we that's one of the things we did all the time we we had a big cucumber patch and we made pickles okay and so the way it works is you know you do all you know you clean them off very well and then you put them into the brine and then you can pull it out five minutes later and boom you got a pickle well no as a matter of fact you don't you know, you could dip it in there 50,000 times. It, does, it doesn't make it a pickle. It, you know, in order for that actually 
to become a pickle. In order for it to be pickled properly, it has to soak. And it takes time for your brine with the vinegar and whatever, you know, what other ingredients you've placed into it. It takes time. And over time, the vegetable and the brine unite so that when you, you know, once you've given it enough time and you pull that out, it's no longer a cucumber. You know, you could have a cucumber in one hand and bite into it, and then you can have, you know, something that's actually process, you know, properly fermented, or um, I don't know if fermentation is the right word, but proper, properly um, soaked and pickled for for the proper amount of time, and bite into that, and it tastes nothing like a cucumber any longer. And, it, and the same goes for any other vegetable that you would put into some sort of a solution like this. So it doesn't matter, you know, which one it is. The whole point is, is that this is not something that that's signifying just the idea of dunking. And, and when Nikanda writes about this, this is baptizo. It's this idea of joining. And so this is really one of the earliest occurrences that we have of this word. In fact, it is, like, you know, within literature at least. There, are, there is another place where it's spoken of, baptizo, Interestingly enough, it doesn't have to do with pickling this time, but it doesn't have anything to do with religion either. It has to do with the dyeing of fabrics, and and so it's un, you know you know it's talked about the proper way to dye fabrics, and 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 the way you do this is you plunge this into your your dyeing agent, you plunge the fabric in there, and it's understood that once the fabric has taken on the color of the dye. Well, then it's now been baptizoed, which isn't really a word, but that's basically me, me trying to um, Englishize the word baptism, I mean, baptizo. But yeah, it's, been, it's now been baptized with this, and this is the word that's being used, is baptizo. And so baptizo is used in the ancient world prior to the time of Christ to essentially explain a joining of two things together because the same thing goes with dye like you can have you know a solution with with color in it and you can plunge a cloth into it and pull it out and it's going to be a little bit you know you know so if say it was like purple it's going to take a little bit of that on but that that's not going to make it dyed that's not going to signify baptizo. It's understood that in order for something like that to happen, the cloth needs to soak. You need time to actually make that happen. And, and as time goes on, what's actually happening is these two things are being united. And this is the term that's used in the entirety of the New Testament to talk about baptism. You know, when, when Jesus is telling his disciples, go, go you therefore into all of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's baptizo. You know, it does, it, even when Jesus is telling his disciples that you can't be baptized with the baptism that I've been baptized with, it's baptizo. When Peter is standing before all of the people at the day of Pentecost, and they're, you know, it says that they, they are cut to the core, they're cut to their hearts, and they're wondering, well, what can he do? And he says, go be baptized. It's, you know, you're going to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The Greek word there is baptizo. 
going back to what we started this episode with, when Paul is writing to the Romans and saying, don't you know when you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death, it's baptizo. The whole point is this is the word that describes the Christian baptism. And then it begins to make sense why Paul then in something, you know, in the book of Romans, you know, where we read like at the, you know, you have Romans chapter six, verse one, he's saying, don't you know when you had been baptized? You know, verse five, he's saying, having been joined or having been united to him in his death, you know, that, that all the more were, were united to him in his resurrection. So the idea is, is that he's basically teaching that baptism is a union with God. And now, now let's go back to the first episode, just briefly. And once again, if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to do it. Um, but going back to that, in, in the first episode that I had on baptism, you know, it pointed out, it, you know, it says in the Bible that, you know, in the book of Exodus, that the people were baptized into Moses. Well, you don't find, you know, any ritual washings that are going on there. So what's talk, what is it actually talking about? Well, you know, the term is baptizo. They were joined to him. And this is really what this word is describing. And this is really, really important because this actually has the, the ability to change our perspective. Because the obvious question is, well, I mean, how? How is it possible by this simple act that somebody is actually being joined to Christ, being joined to his work? And the reason is, is because this is what God is able to do. And see, understanding it in this way changes our perspective. Because if we understand it as a rite of initiation, you know, that this was something that was going on in the ancient world, you know, in a lot of other religions. And so basically, you know, God base he was, you know, he just perfected it. And so now you're going to do this, but you're going to do this to God now. Well, it absolutely destroys the very concept of baptism. It turns it into nothing more than some sort of a religious ritual that was going on. And it was going on in other religions. And, and God said, well, no, I, you know, I'm going to have you do it, but yours is going to be more special than all of the other ones. And it makes it into something trivial, but more importantly, it makes it into something that we are doing to God. And this is really the whole, the whole point in which, on which baptism turns. It's understanding which way do you see the action is going? Which way do we see the action is going? And what I mean by that is we either understand this as something that God is doing to human beings, that he is present in this act, and he is doing something to human beings, or we can understand it as something that we as human beings are doing toward God. Now, to understand it as a religious ritual... And to use that kind of language surrounding it and to teach about it in that way turns it into nothing more than an act that I'm doing towards God, which is why, you know, and, and the problem is, is this is actually something that has become prevalent within the church. And, and so people essentially say, well, yeah, that's all it is. And so 
when it's time to be baptized, the purpose of baptism is you making a public declaration in, in, other, in front of other people <clears throat> that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and that you are dedicated to him. Or, you know, and that's why in, in many cases you can be baptized multiple times in some of these different, you know, groups of Christians because it is a religious exercise that a person is taking part in. And so if it is that sort of a ritual, um, ritual, then what's to stop somebody from doing it over and over and over again? Well, the answer is nothing stopping you from doing it over and over again. The other thing is, is if it's something that you're doing just to show the fact that you are dedicating yourself to Christ, well, then why is it, why is it even necessary? Couldn't you just kind of stand on top of a mountaintop and scream to the world around you that I'm dedicated to Christ? Couldn't you just put it on your Facebook profile? Is, how is that any different than some sort of a public declaration? And the reality is, is there are groups within Christianity that see it as religious ritual, and as a result, they just stop doing it. And that's really, it either becomes something that is a weird sort of exercise that we're doing toward him and, and can be repeated and does get repeated. And and in many cases, then it also becomes really important about, you know, it becomes important to do it the right way. And so that's when you get into some people that like there's controversies. Well, if you weren't dunked under the water, well, then you're not truly baptized. In fact, you know, if you go into the, you know, the history of the Christian church, there's controversies over the fact that, well, were you dunked backwards or were you dunked forward? And so if you weren't dunked all the way under, then that's not really a baptism. And, and if it wasn't done in, you know, you know, by the right person, or in some cases, some people think, well, you know, I've already been baptized multiple times, but I have an opportunity to go to the Jordan River where, you know, all of these things happen. This is going to make it even more special. This is going to make it even greater. Now, as we talked about earlier, this type of thinking did not exist in the early Christian church. And when we read the teachings of the 12 disciples, they were not in any way caught up on that kind of stuff. There wasn't necessarily a right way to do it in terms of its form. They were not focused on the form. What mattered is, did you baptize the person in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Form only becomes truly important when we think that this is something that we are doing toward God. And so if we can perfect it, if we can do it right, if it's done at the right age, if it had a really meaningful impact, then it's going to matter to God. It almost becomes like, this is my gift to you, God. And that understanding obviously didn't really exist within the early church, but it doesn't really exist even in the word that's being used because this is not describing a ritual in the New Testament. This is not a word that would be described to talk about washings or or something that would get repeated over and over again. You know, a word that would be used would actually be baptismos or even bapto in that sense. But, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, this is something, you know, to use baptizo, it's it's speaking of of two things being joined. Now that complicates things. It does. I understand. I understand that complicates things because there are people who actually look at these words and they actually believe this isn't even describing a water baptism. 
they believe that this must be something, you know, what it is to be baptized. You know, there's people who believe that when Paul says that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death, and now you have been joined to him. Well, I mean, that just can't be describing something that happened, you know, with the water baptism. There must have been, you know, they must be talking about something else. And that's when you get into this idea of, you know, people who believe, well, you know, the spirit, it's the spirit. And, and maybe it was, you know, you know, or, or baptism of blood or all these other sorts of weird things that people get into or they begin to talk about because they can't make sense of this. They can't make sense of the fact that in this act, somebody could be joined to God. But it makes sense if we understand that this actually belongs to him. And this is him simply acting on his people. Do you want to know something that doesn't make sense that occurs within the Bible? Let me tell you something. I mean, there's a lot of them, but let's just go with a really simple one. The people of Mo- people during Moses' time, after they were, quote-unquote, baptized into Moses, they're wandering through there and they begin to cl- you know, complain to Moses and they're essentially saying, you know what, things were better when we were back in Egypt which is a ridiculous thing to say. But anyways, as they're complaining, a punishment comes upon them in the form of a bunch of serpents. And it says that these serpents are biting people and they're dying. And the people got the point. They understood, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be complaining to the guy that could turn the rivers into blood and kill firstborn children and cause plagues to call, you know, come, um, come upon the land and all of this kind of stuff. You know, maybe we shouldn't be messing around with this. And so they go to Moses and they say, you know, they're repentant. And so God instructs Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it on the end of the pole, and anybody who gets bitten can look upon it and they would be cured. Now, they did it and they were saved. You know, they were cured. They didn't die when they, when they were bitten in this way. Now, that's really interesting because that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter. Do you really think that, that people were like trying to figure out the right way to look at the serpent? Do you really think that after a few people got, you know, you're, you know, basically, you know, say that you had your, you know, you're, you're going through the desert and you see like one of your family members, your close friends, they get bitten, they look at that certain serpent and, and they're immediately cured. And, and then it's your turn. All of a sudden you get bitten. What are you going to do? Are you going to scratch your head and say, you know what, actually that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. I got to figure out how it's possible. So I'm going to sit here until I can figure out exactly how I could possibly be. Oh, no, I'm dead. Because that that's what happens. You're dead. The snake bites go fast as you're trying to figure the whole thing out. And, and that's the ridiculous nature of this is God uses mundane and earthly things all the time to accomplish his will and to accomplish his work. You don't need to understand it, okay? In fact, we can just accept it and, and, and basically take a, a, you know, a, a different approach entirely, understanding that what the scripture is actually describing is union with God. And actually, it's a really difficult thing to really understand what's going on in baptism. And that's what we'll talk about next time. So thank you very much for listening. If you got something out of this, 
please email me. I'll have the I'll have that in the description. Um, you know, in, in the notes below, I also have a, a Patreon account for anybody who is looking to support there. But the best thing, as I, I've said many times before, if you've liked this, then please share it with your friends. If you didn't like it, then, um, well, I mean, you don't have to share it with your friends. Or maybe you want to share it with your friends because you're like, you know, listen to this this jerk over here talk about this. And, and you know, if you email me and you have any topics that you'd like me to talk about, by all means do it. The reason I'm talking about this topic is because I received emails asking me, would you please be willing to, you know, just to kind of jump into this. Um, now, I'm not in any way up to, up to this point in time, I don't feel like I've made any really deep declarations about baptism. I haven't in any way, I don't feel like at least, you know, tried, you know, even gotten to the point where I'm saying, you know, getting deeply into my, my own belief system. That'll happen the next time I talk about it. And I'm not sure if it'll be the next episode or, or wherever it's at, but I assure you that will happen. But even with all, you know, everything I've set up to this point in time, this is me just doing the best I can, and I very well might be wrong. So thank you very much, and thanks for joining me. Bye.